Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. I am thankful for today. Uh, As you know, Palm Sunday, and today marks the beginning, Pastor Holly said, of what is known as Holy Week. Uh, And Holy Week begins here with Palm Sunday, and then, as Pastor Holly just said, uh, continues throughout the week, and we gather together on Good Friday. Actually, there's a a Thursday celebration called Monday Thursday, usually, which kind of uh, represents when Jesus gathers with all of uh, the disciples in the upper room. Uh, But then there's usually a Good Friday service, and then it all ends uh, next Sunday as we gather together to celebrate Easter, and I'm so, so looking forward to our gathering next week. But today is Palm Sunday, so we don't want to get ahead of ourselves as we look forward to Easter. That's exciting. But I want to encourage us just to linger in the events of this week, to linger in the story that we're going to hear today and not move too quickly past even Good Friday when we get there. It's really important that we linger in the events of Jesus's life as we look at the last week of his life here on earth. We want God to do a significant work in our hearts and in the world. So what I'd like to do is I want to start by just reading our scripture focus for today. And it's one that we know well because we come to this scripture passage every year at this point. But I'm going to read it. It's a bit longer than usual, so hang in there. But again, I think it's important for us to hear this. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. As Jesus Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them, of his disciples, on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them. And he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him. They threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowds spread their garments on the road ahead of them. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So we're used to seeing this scripture text, and we're used to understanding seeing Palm Sunday as a great day of celebration. It's a day, it is and it was, a celebration where Jesus is publicly acknowledged as the king, which is great, right? We want that to happen. We like seeing this in scripture. We do that together this week as well. The crowds, he's riding in as a king, the crowd waving palm branches in his honor, and on the surface... This is the, being recognized as the king is exactly what's happening. But there's more going on. The scripture text, in, in fact, tells a slightly different tale. It tells a tale of great expectations and Hosanna on Sunday. And the cry of crucify him on Friday. And in some cases by the very same people. 
And I love Palm Sunday because it's an annual opportunity for you and I to examine our expectations of Jesus and how he works in our lives and how he works in the world. In many ways, that's what got Jesus in trouble here in this story. It wasn't all his fault here. People uh, had misplaced expectations of who Jesus was and what he was supposed to do and even how he was supposed to do it. None of us are immune from placing our own expectations on Jesus. And then sometimes, like the people in this story, becoming disappointed when he doesn't do what we think he should. Even the disciples do this in this story. See, again, the story started out with cheering and singing signs of victory and ended with calls for his execution. Even by late Thursday, the inner circle of his disciples had denied him, deserted him, and betrayed him. What a change. What a change. We know that at the very end of the week, Jesus was handed over to the Romans, to the Roman authorities for execution. So what accounts for this incredible turn of events by the end of the week? Well, again, it all has to do with expectations about uh, who Jesus was and what he was supposed to do there. And I love this story because I feel like the relevance of the story just continues to grow each year because most of it in this story had to do with societal expectations and political implications. And I love how the Bible doesn't shy away from uh, difficult political and societal realities. It addresses them head on and it reorients us in our thinking and approach when it comes to these weighty topics. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. So my hope is that we kind of have a reorientation this morning, an aha moment of, of our expectations and what we think about Jesus. What type of expectations did the people in that day have of Jesus, especially as he's riding into town? Well, I'm going to take us back uh, to some of the conversation we had last year. Last year, we looked at the idea that Jesus wasn't the only one to have a triumphal entry into Jerusalem that day. It's likely that the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, also entered the city before Jesus in a very triumphal way. As the reigning Roman governor, there would have been a lot of pomp and circumstance in in how he came into this capital city. He would have been draped in the gaudy glory of imperial power, riding on war horses with chariots and soldiers, armored up and ready for battle. There would have been heralds announcing his arrival, and because he, he represented the emperor, it's likely that the language that they were using was, here comes the representative of the king of kings and the lord of lords. One of the many reasons that they would have likely had this kind of show uh, of Pilate's uh, entry, including coming in with all these Roman soldiers, was because it was Passover week. It was literally the celebration of the Jewish people where they recognized God bringing them out from under an oppressive government in Egypt. <laughs> the Romans were a little afraid of this, right? They, they, they didn't want anything to get out of hand. They felt like insurrection was in the air, and so they would have come in in might and power. The city of Jerusalem went from about 50,000 residents to about 500,000 residents on this particular uh, festival day or days. That's an enormous amount of increase. So the Romans write in saying, look at us. We are the mightiest. We are in charge. You can't beat our might and you will be under the authority of our kingdom. 
And yet when Pilate rode into town, there's, there's likely this tangible stirring among the people and they're thinking to themselves, you just wait. You just wait until the Messiah gets here. You Romans have no idea what's coming. You see, even if the Jewish people were still trying to figure out if Jesus was the Messiah, they certainly had expectations about what the Messiah would be and who, what he would do no matter who it was. I mean, in the Matthew text that we read, he quotes from Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 11, and look at what it says. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And here's the kicker verse. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel, the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Sounds pretty good, right? (laughs) You Romans, are you ready for that? You just wait. Our king is coming, and he's going to tear down your kingdom for a kingdom that looks like this. That's how we'll know that he's the Messiah. Oh, I hope you can feel the tension building because it's real exciting. (laughs) Here comes Jesus riding into town, and he has these royal gestures that he's making. He has a royal gesture. He goes into the religious center of the city, the temple, and he makes pronouncements. He flips over tables, symbolic actions indicating his connection to the Messiah. It's a good start, even if it doesn't look quite right to people, right? Many people, even including the disciples, shared the hope of the people known as the zealots. Hope that Jesus, especially after things like cleansing the temple, would kick the Romans out of town and begin to rule. Last year we talked about the various ways that Jesus' entry actually connected himself with the prophetic images of the Messiah from the Old Testament. But that's, he did it in God's kingdom version, which looks very different than the kingdoms of humanity. Jesus, why didn't you ride in on a war horse? This is where the expectations of Jesus and how he's supposed to do things begin to break down for people. <laughs> Jesus does this Messiah thing very differently. The people wanted a military or a political solution. Sound familiar? We're suffering, God, and we need help. The Romans are, the, are, the, are why we're not flourishing as a people or as a society, if only it could be different. We know that the Messiah will come and, and make war on the Romans, or at least he'll change the political party, and soon it will get better. Right? And then here comes Jesus riding into town, not on a war horse, He doesn't even politically challenge the Pharisees, let alone Pilate. Jesus, what are you doing? The people are confused. I love Palm Sunday because its it's, its message is not so subtle. We need to realize that Jesus did not come to meet our expectations. He came to meet our needs. One author I I read this week wrote this. He did not come to slay our foes and lift us high. He came to serve us and to give his life to take care of our real problem. Sin. The real barrier for human suffering and disconnection with God. For at the root, the real heart of the human dilemma is not any of our political problems or social issues, but our sin sickness. 
He goes on to say, as it says in Mark 7, out of the heart comes war, adultery, murder, slander, all manner of human misbehavior. The problem then and now was not chiefly how well the borders of the land were protected from foreign peoples in Rome. The problem was the unprotected borders of the human heart. From womb to tomb, from birth to death, Jesus did not come to meet our expectations of what a king should be like or how a king should act. He came to meet our deepest needs, the deepest needs that you and I have, whether we know it or not. Amen? And that's exactly what he's doing in this story, and it's incredibly powerful. He came to meet our need for salvation more than temporary societal attempts at solutions. He came to meet our needs to humble ourselves in uh, in the sight of a God instead of trying to exalt ourselves over other people. He came to meet our need to let God be the real King and Lord of our lives. And I love that we get the reminder each year at Palm Sunday because at times the truth about Jesus honestly is still difficult to embrace because our way of doing things is so very different. Uh, it reminds me of the Emmaus Road story. I love the Emmaus Road story in Luke chapter 22. It's a story which tells of two relatively unknown disciples leaving town after Jesus was crucified. Uh, and they start talking to the resurrected Jesus, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. We had hoped, they said, past tense. We had hoped that Jesus, that he, Jesus, would be the one to redeem Israel, but crucifixion put an end to that altogether. No one was looking for a crucified Messiah in Jesus' day. No one was thinking about the real issue that Jesus came to address. The truth is that Jesus didn't come to be the kind of king that would run the Romans out of town. He came to die on a cross for all of us, for you and for me, even for the enemies of Israel, even for the Romans. Still to this day, we have a very difficult time understanding this or internalizing what Jesus has done and the way that he did it because it really just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Our world is in desperate need of a revival of the heart. We need to embrace the Prince of Peace on his terms and not ours, but we have to see it first. It's hard. In Mark chapter 10, we, see, we hear Jesus address this directly because his disciples, uh, maybe like a lot of us, we're not getting it. And sometimes we need these reminders. This is I, one of the reasons I love kind of an annual look at a particular story. In Mark chapter 10, verse 41 through 45, we read this. When James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, that is Jesus, teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What's your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Jesus tells them, you don't know what you're asking. Uh, Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I'm baptized with? And this is the best answer ever. Oh, yes, they replied. (laughs) We are able. (laughs) Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and and be baptized with the baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. 
When the ten other disciples heard what James and John asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt it or flaunt their authority over those under them. That's how the world does things, right? That's how these kingdoms do it. Among, but among you, it will be different. He starts to talk more about what the kingdom of God is like and what he's doing here. Among you, that's you and me as well, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everybody else. For even the Son of Man did not, uh, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. I love what Jesus is doing here because he's reorienting everyone. The real kingdom here is the kingdom of God. And the way that the kingdom of God works is very different. You're asking for seats of power. If you want seats of honor and power, then you've got to do it my way. <laughs> Plus, that's not what you should be asking for. Essentially, is what Jesus is saying, right? It's a fascinating exchange between Jesus and the disciples. They want position. They want to be honored in this new world regime that Jesus was supposed to be ushering in. Even the disciples didn't quite get it. And Jesus enters into Jerusalem, not with a golden crown or on a warring stallion, but on a donkey, a symbol of peace headed toward a crown of thorns and looks us right in the eyes and says, do you see how it's done? Now it's your turn. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you have to follow me and you have to do it my way. And Jesus, even as Jesus heads down the path toward Jerusalem, scripture tells us he weeps. And in part he's weeping uh, because he knows that even after the cross, Humanity will still continue to fight for power, to violently oppress each other, to try to get what they want. And yet, he heads to the cross anyway. Praise the Lord for what he's done for you and me. As we reflect on the realities of the original Palm Sunday, it's so important to ask ourselves, where might I need to reorient my expectations about the way that Jesus works in my life and in this world? Because a renovation of the world around us starts with a radical transformation of my heart and my mind. Of your heart and your mind. Amen? <laughs> what at first seems powerful, the Roman entry, is actually powerless. And what seems powerless, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, is so eternally powerful that it actually is the hope of the world for all eternity. Expectations. We're off here, and Jesus is calling us to follow him in his way. He came not to meet our expectations, but came to meet our need, and I'm so glad he did. It's the revealing of the real kingdom that we're supposed to belong to. Jesus didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to meet our needs, and he calls us to operate in that way, in this way that he, uh, he is. No one was expecting a crucified Messiah not even Jesus' disciples, even despite, that he, despite what he kept telling them. And this was God's wonderful plan all along. Worship team, would you come back? Wow. So, Hosanna, right? Praise be to the king. Hopefully we can see a little clearer what, what the real king looks like. 
Hosanna is a a word of worship, but it's also a word that says, save us. It's a cry for help. And Jesus can meet that need that we have for help. And it calls us to a life of kingdom living like nobody else. Hosanna, look with renewed eyes on the coming of our King on this Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I'm so thankful, again, for the stories of Scripture, so thankful for what you've done for us. I'm, I'm thankful to be able each year to come into this uh, celebration, starting here on Palm Sunday. Give us clear eyes. Reorient the way that we think about what you've done for us and how you work in the world, that you call us to kingdom living, to trust in you. Your ways are different than the ways, our ways and the ways around us. So help us build a foundation that is found in you, that expresses love, mercy, grace, justice, an invitation to follow you uh, even when it's difficult. You help us along the way. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for filling us, for forgiving us, for saving us. We sing that word today, Hosanna. We praise you with all that we are, for you alone are the only one worthy of our worship. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you that your invitation to new life is for all of us. I would just say if you are uh, either, if this week you're here, whether you're joining us online or in person and you're exploring faith, just want to encourage you. Open your heart to the Lord. Open your heart to Jesus who gave his life for you. Maybe we are, we can relate with those people who have uh, misplaced expectations and uh, we can see what the Lord, we can, we can maybe, maybe we're starting to see what the Lord has done as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart and to your mind. I just want to encourage you to give your life, your heart to Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who gives us forgiveness and reconnects us with God. He gives us purpose and life. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Give your heart to your creator. We thank you for what you've done for us, Jesus. We pray in your name.